<clears throat> Hello there. This is Pastors of the Roundtable, the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MNBC here in Monroe, Michigan. <clears throat> I've got something in my throat. Um, we encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Um, we are here continuing our study, walking through uh, this uh, very important moment in the history of Martin Luther's life. Um, this uh, disputation, the Heidelberg Disputation that was held in 1518. And I was actually just read, listening to a uh, podcast recently, and they were talking about Luther and such. And they said that if you really want to grasp um, really what the issues were all about at the Reformation, uh, the time, you know, and, and we as Baptists, right, we are, we flow from that, that Reformation movement. If you really want to grasp the, the really key ideas, um, he gave two sources, this disputation, these 28 theses, and then the other one was the book, The Bondage of the Will, that Martin Luther wrote um, against Erasmus. And some of those same ideas that he writes about in The Bondage of the Will um, are here. And so you can imagine uh, Martin Luther is here. He's um, already something of an outlaw. Um, he's already kind of um, started to <clears throat> upseat, um, um, or maybe that's not really a word, but like um, uh, get people um, upset about all of the uh, issues going on that he's bringing up in his 95 theses. And now he's, um, he's asking questions about, you know, indulgences, about how people are forgiven, the role of purgatory, the Pope's authority. And here at the Heidelberg Disputation, he's brought to, with um, a group of his fellow Augustinian monks, because remember, he was a monk um, in the Catholic Church, in the uh, Augustinian order. And so this is kind of like a home turf place for him to get together with, we, um, we might think of it as like a convention of sorts of the, uh, of the Augustinian monks together. And they want to hear um, Luther kind of give some, give a presentation roughly on what he's where he's at theologically, where he's at um, in understanding the role of works and grace and how we're saved and the role of our will. Um, and all of those all of those things are kind of at work here. And this is what Luther is doing. He's giving through these 28 statements. He is summarizing at this point in his life um, some of the issues that he's struggling with, some of the things he's... he's um, walking through and he he opens up those first two the of these 28 statements these short summary statements the first starts with um uh start st starts with the whole idea of the quest the pursuit of righteousness and it makes me think about the question that the um, rich young ruler asked jesus what must i do to inherit eternal life and that's roughly the same thing that, that Luther starts out, that same idea Luther opens up and talks about how um, the law of God, which commands us what we should and shouldn't do, um, seems to offer us a way towards righteousness, a way to eternal life. But actually, he hi highlights that the law of God, rather than actually helping us on the way, actually shows us to be sinners because, we're, because of, of our fall um, in Adam. And then he begins to start examining the what our what our works look like, um, because as we as we look at ourselves and our lives, we often will look at our own works or the works of other people, and we judge them from a human perspective, from a fallen fleshly perspective. 
And so what Luther is trying to do is to get us to examine these things from a biblical perspective in light of the scriptures and to interpret reality from the Bible and not from the way in which we naturally think about these things. And so these were actually called, Luther described these statements as paradoxes because a paradox is something that's true, but it seems contradictory. It seems like it wouldn't make sense. And so Paul talks this way where he describes the the cross as foolishness to the world, but the wisdom of God to us. Um, and so that's what Luther is doing uh, here. So in these, that today I've I titled the episode, this question from uh, Proverbs, I believe it's 20, um, uh, verse 9, who can say I have made my heart pure and I am clean uh, from my sin? And that's kind of what Luther is going to talk about here today. Who among us can say I have made my heart pure and I am clean from my sin? Who among us is sinless? And so Luther has these two theses, theses five and six. He writes this, those works of man which are crimes, are not part of the category of deadly sins. When speaking about deadly sins, I am talking about those which appear outwardly good and beneficial. And then Thesis 6, the works of God, in particular, those which are done through men, are not done apart from sin. So Luther gives a little bit of a, of a, of a, um, <clears throat> of a further elaboration on the first thesis where he says, right, those works of man, which are crimes, are not part of the category of deadly sins. When speaking about deadly sins, I am talking about those which appear outwardly good and beneficial. Luther writes, for instance, these are crimes which all men are able to identify, adultery, theft, murder, and deception. But deadly sins are those which appear good, in actu- but in actuality are the result of a wicked tree bearing wicked fruit. What Luther seems to be getting at, guys, is this, is that sometimes the most deadly sins of all are the things, the, the good works that we do that we are actually trusting in. Um, what are some works that, that don't look bad, that the world would applaud? Because everybody will say murder is a bad thing. But what are some things that the world applauds as good that are actually quite deadly and ultimately will kill us if they're not repented of? What are some works that the world thinks are good, but in God's sight are actually quite evil? And volunteering your time for a ministry or uh, some other nonprofit organization, your kid's school or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, I was thinking something different. I was thinking right now our world says homosexuality is good. Uh, abortion is good. There's a lot of push towards that, which God obviously says is not good. Mm-hmm. And is wrong, and it's applauded. So it's not. I mean, it's so bad. It's not even seen as sin. It's seen as healthcare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anything. I mean, so for instance, what Luther's getting at is because if you were to ask somebody in our church, um, list your top. You know, what are the sins that are most going to keep people out of heaven? What do you think they would say? Sins. What sin? What like particular sins? Murder. That pe- yeah are going to keep people out of heaven. Mm-hmm. I think Christians would say like homosexuality, right, or something like that. A right. lot of Christians say that, or murder, or yeah, the murder. the big ones. Mm-hmm. But what Luther's <clears throat> getting at is the the most insidious sin is actually whenever we do quote good <clears throat> things to the world and we trust them and we make them an idol <clears throat> and we love them so much that we will cling to those. Um, and, um, 
and we will we will cling to those to such an extent that we will trust those to get us righteous with God. Um, and so the things that look horrible to us, Luther's not saying they're not bad, but he's saying they're not actually the most deadly sins of all. Mm. The most deadly sins of all are actually things like unbelief, idolatry, and covetousness. Those yeah, are actually... Because he's, he's talking about, he says, wicked tree bearing <clears throat> wicked fruit. Yeah. Christians are not wicked trees. So he's not speaking of Christians here. He's speaking of non-Christians, right. things that are keeping them mm-hmm. where they think they're doing something good, yeah. right? But it could be anybody's sins. I mean, there's there's Christians still that struggle with the fact that they when they think about sins, they often will only think about those big things. They don't think about pride. They don't think about selfishness. They're only thinking about the big sins, the, the things that they're trying to do um, in order to gain God's acceptance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we don't often think of those as sins. Yeah, like I use the example I did of like volunteering at a nonprofit, going to give blood, you know, doing things like things that we would uh, maybe like through people we know that aren't Christians, that they still try to live morally upstanding lives. And if you were to try to have a spiritual conversation with them, a lot of times if you were to ask them, are you a good person, they would point to those things that, yeah, look at the things I do. I don't murder people. I'm not cheating on my wife. I go, I give blood, I volunteer at my kid's school, I, I do all of these things. And on the outside, they look like a very morally upstanding person. But I think what this is getting at, this, this point, yeah. this thesis number five, is getting at, it's like even those <clears throat> things, as Isaiah 64 would say, yeah. those are polluted garments. That's right. Those are dirty rags before the Lord. Right. Um, that well, think about this. This is a good example, is the, the Pharisee and the tax collector before God, right? So on the one hand, the Pharisee's done all these great works. He says, I give a tithe of everything I've done, right? I basically, he's, he's, he's an upstanding citizen. He doesn't steal. He doesn't rob. He doesn't say bad words. He doesn't do anything externally bad at all. Mm-hmm. And he says, Lord, I thank you for this. And actually his unbelief, despite all those good things, his unbelief is actually is going to kill him. His arrogance and his trust in all those good things is going to lead to his condemnation. But the man who was the stealing, lying, thieving tax collector, whenever he acknowledges his sin, those sins don't actually separate him from God anymore because he's resting in the promise of God's justification. And that's what Luther's getting at here is the way in which we judge good works has to be reevaluated. And the way in which we judge sin, sin is so much deeper than simply all these bad external works that we, that we think um, that person over there is doing or this person's doing. Um, it, goes, it goes much deeper than that. Um, Kelsey Klimbara is an author. She has this book, right? The theology, or she um, helped co-edit the book, The Theology of the Cross, published by 15 at 17. But she writes this, obvious crimes are not what Luther's after. Adultery, theft, murder, and lies. These sins do not betray the sinful conscience, but instead they expose it. A murderer knows he is culpable. The adulteress has no qualms about her purity. And everyone knows you should not steal what is not yours to take. Any sane person understands there is nothing good about a crime. Yet what can we say about the sins we refuse to admit, all of which trace back to a lack of faith in Christ? Luther levels the playing field by making the seemingly obvious point. No longer can the righteous put herself on a pedestal above the criminal. In fact, the sins of the criminal don't even fit the same definition as hers. 
all of which appear beautiful and picturesque, yet are killing her from the inside. And that's what Luther is getting at, because these monks would have thought that, you know, again, think about who he's talking to. They would have thought all of their external good works and prayers and all those things were good things. Um, But what Luther's trying to get at is that that if it doesn't proceed from faith, it's all iniquity in God's sight. Um, and this goes back to what Tim was talking about in Galatians, or Genesis 3. When Luther thinks about what the first sin was, Luther thinks the first sin is unbelief. Hmm. The first sin is doubting God. And that is the sin that separates us from God. And um, that is the core of what it means. It means to be turned back in on ourselves, worshiping our own works, worshiping ourselves, trusting in ourselves, and not trusting in the creator, the and if, good and gracious God. Yeah, and if you think about that, I mean, the devil did the same thing to Jesus to try to get him to not believe, you know, did the same thing that he did to Eve. He, you know, he said, if, if you really are the son of God, you know, disbelief, then turn these stones into bread. You know, um, you're hungry, or I can give you all this if you just bow down. And so again, it's, it's, it's a transfer of belief. You know, ultimately, if you really are this person, then prove it, you know. Um, and that's, I think, I think Luther, I think that's correct. It's that disbelief because, yeah. you know, I think GK Chesterton said the danger is not that we believe in nothing, that we believe in everything, you know, and that we transfer our belief into something that's false. Correct. You know? Correct. So, yeah. Yeah. What are you resting your heart on? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what are you placing your hope in? Well, that leads to the second point then from what Luther is saying is the works, this point was just thesis six, the works of God in particular, those which are done through men are not done apart from sin. Um, now, again, what Luther is doing here is he's saying that even whenever God works through us, and let me ask you this question, guys, does God work through Christians and or unchristians, non-believers? God can work through anything. But does he? What do you mean? Does he work through them? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because without him, they couldn't exist. Right? So he is the first cause. He is the one in whom they live and move and have their being. So both believer and unbeliever act because God is working through them ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what we, we know. That's the way the Lord works. So what he's getting at here is that the that God works through even sinners and even those because even though God works through, for instance, did God work through, um, you know, think of really bad people in history. Did God work through them? The Pharisees. The Pharisees. Did God work through them? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Jesus yes, he was did. crucified because right. of Right. So was does that take away their sin? No. No. So... Luther, and he'll talk about this later on in the bondage of the will. He's, he's talking, he goes into length about this. But um, the Pharisees were sinners, but God can still use sinners and work through them. Um, he has this example here about an analogy. He says, when someone, Luther says this, when someone cuts with a rusty and jagged axe, even though the carver is a good craftsman, the hatchet leaves bad, misplaced, and deformed cuts. Hmm. So too, this is what it is like when God works through us. So there's not a single person on earth who, even when God works through us, that we still don't sin. But the sin's not God's. The sin is ours. Um, so 
uh, he and he's he leans on a verse from Ecclesiastes chapter seven verse uh, twenty. <clears throat> yeah, she. Uh, this is again from Kelsey Clambara. Luther bases his proof of thesis six on Ecclesiastes seven twenty. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. She says, can you imagine the panic in the room as Luther read these words? How then is one made righteous? Just as the minds of those Augustinian friars began to attempt to count up their goodness and reason themselves out of the category of sinners described by Luther, the piercing truth of God's law breaks in again. Be wary, righteous one, good works queen, self-sacrificial servant, self-help guru, for you cannot escape sin in this life. And so what she's, uh, Luther was going at, and he'll, he'll even say that, I think, in his, um, in his uh, whenever he is further describing this thesis, he highlights the fact that um, God doesn't say um, uh, that um, it's, oh yeah, he says here, for this purpose, Luther writes this, could, uh, that he says, there is not a righteous man on earth who never sins. He says, why add, why add who does good? As if there are other persons who do evil and are righteous. For no one except a justified man does good. Where, however, he speaks of sins outside the realm of good works, he thus speaks thus, for the righteous falls seven times. Um, so even the righteous man sin all the time. We sin all the time and we can't help it because our wills are bound. And that's where Luther is eventually going to drive us to, is the fact that our wills are enslaved to sin. And so even God's works that he works through us, and, and we still sin, it's still got to work through us, but he's using a jagged axe, um, uh, a blade that is that is rusty and, and sometimes doesn't cut the best. But he's still at work through us, but the sin is all ours. And so he's not the author or the approver of sin, but he is at work through all of us, just like he was at work through the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He was at work through Pilate. He was at work through the Roman authorities and the soldiers and all that stuff. Is he going to distinguish between God working through, at some point, God working through people who are clearly driven by their sin versus believers who are driven by a desire to do good out of a genuine place? Um, he doesn't phrase things that we will talk about the difference between the justified and the unbeliever. Um, Cause I could just see like a Christian thinking to themselves, I was like, I don't, I should never do anything then because I know that it's going to be tainted with sin. Like why, you know, what I like was just thinking fear, about what I was know? thinking about the way that the, uh, analogy that luther uses about the rusty axe it makes it sound like this craftsman is using this rusty axe but the the result is never going to be good because it's always going to be a misplaced cut in this because of the rusty axe honestly <laughs> my my mind went right to it sounds like luther's arguing for the fact that scripture can't be that good god used man we have a great craftsman writing scripture but he's using rusty old men so of course there's problems with scripture that's how that's how that kind of played out in my head. I'm like, but I don't think that's what he's saying. No, but no. that it sounds like that could be an argument used. Like, look, even Luther would say that. That's why I was wondering. Like, is he talking specifically about unbelievers in this portion of his theses, and then is he going to transition at some? Point? I don't know that he is, because I think the reality is for Luther is we are simultaneously sinner and saint. I know, but you're saying the sin. But the way it comes across is the result of the work of God through people is always going to be messed up because the people are messed up. Not just the sin, but even the result. I mean, that's the way it comes across in this quote that you have there. No, I to, don't know. I think to me. Yeah, I think I mean, yeah, he says it leaves bad misplaced and deformed cuts. 
Yeah, because we are sinners. So, I mean, can you think of one thing you do good in this world that you do perfectly? No, but I mean, my argument that I went to was scripture. Because people, a lot of people attack scripture and they say yes. it's because men wrote it. And so there, it's not, it can't be perfect. It came through, it came through men. And we would argue, you know, it is, it's inerrant, it's perfect, it's infallible. This is the word of God given to us. And their argument would be, there's no way that man has done this right. Right. And we would say, no, but God worked through them. And it seemed like they could then appeal to Luther and say, look at this guy, Luther, who you respect. Look what he says. That's what he means. Right. No, I don't think that's ob- obviously that's not what he means with that specific analogy but he is driving the point because eventually he's going to get to the point to just show us that our wills are bound and eventually he'll say basically free will is a fiction and because what he's attacking here at the core is the idea that salvation lies in doing what is within you that salvation is found in doing your best because the picture that was given one of one of the pictures from the medieval times which is actually one that natural man loves is the idea of a ladder and you can even see i think there's an image <clears throat> that there's this special ladder and there's different people on the rungs of the ladder trying to ascend to god and there's god with his hand down at the top offering his hand out to bring bring the person up into heaven but the idea is is that by Doing your best, you ascend the ladder to heaven. And that was the, the, uh, the, the metaphor, the idea of salvation. And it was all built upon this idea that there was remnants of good in you that you need to activate. And if you can activate them, then you can reach up into the heavens. And Luther's trying to help us and help, the, help his Augustinian, um, his fellow Augustinians and help us to think, Nope, there's nothing you can do to get off the ground. And that is actually part of the explosion that is the Reformation. That's why um, original sin is such a powerful um, doctrine um, that Luther embraced. Luther had a darker view of sin than any of the Roman Catholic theologians did. Um, And actually, our Reformed fathers and Reformation fathers, Luther and then Reformed, all had a very much more serious um, view of sin than the Roman Catholics did. Um, So for Luther, we are entirely undone, entirely broken because of sin. And it's only God's grace that causes us to be made alive again. So in in Luther's understanding of the bondage of the will, how our wills are bound to sin, that he carries that over to even even after you've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? In what way? That you're still bound to sin? Your will is still in bondage to sin, enslaved to sin? (laughs) Original sin remains... So to the extent that, yeah, we are simultaneously sinner and saint, um, we still, original sin still remains. So we are still inclined to evil. We have to every day pray, Father, forgive me for my sins. Help me to fight sin today. Now, the good news is, is that God is... Well, um, it would seem the difference is that a believer can fight sin. Versus, can begin to yes versus an unbeliever can't correct right correct yeah so i'm just yeah. trying to tease out and see like if he clarifies that later on or not so much well he eventually the way for luther is is you you begin to be able to do good works whenever you realize your good works are bad works so what he's going to get at is whenever you realize that your works are all tainted with sin and you're not going to count on them at all for your justification with god then God looks at those works and says, you're actually starting to do them for the right reasons. 
but it's it's that's the kind of the paradox that Luther's getting at. Mm-hmm. It's whenever we realize that um, we can do nothing but bad, that we can maybe finally be ready to do something that's relatively good through God, because of God's grace in our lives, because He's humbled us to realize that um, it's kind of like Luther will use those analogies that God kills and makes alive. He brings down and he raises up. And so whenever we're brought down first, then he's able to raise us up and use us. But it happens in ways that we're, that we don't make sense to us. We think naturally, of course I'm a Christian now, so I should be able to go off and just conquer the world. And Luther's trying to say only whenever you realize that you everything you do, even post-Christian is still even post conversion is tainted with sin. It's only as you realize that that you're then free to then love your neighbor because you're still learning to not count on those things for your identity or for buying God's love or anything. You're actually going to start to be able to be used by God to to love your neighbor. And he will start to get to those things that that little bit um, later on in one of the theses. Yeah. Look at Tim's face. You're not a fan of Luther, I don't think. I think Thesis 6 makes complete sense to me. I think the analogy under it completely confused me. I don't think it's a good analogy. I think it falls. Very quickly. Okay. I completely understand. Again, the works of God, in particular, those which are done through men, are not done apart from sin. Absolutely. Everything I do has sin involved in it. I understand that completely. Right. But then when he says... So too, this is what it's like when God works through us that things aren't made how they're supposed to be. I don't think that that is not what that thesis is saying. It's it it's that's what he wrote. I know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm telling <laughs> that you, is what he's saying, though. I don't think it makes sense. I think he has a very bad analogy there. Doesn't mean I don't like him. I just think that's that, that he. Because again, I think you could appeal to scripture. The difference you with could scripture, appeal though, to, is... I could appeal to sharing the gospel with my children, and eventually they come to know Christ, and God sheds His grace on them, and that's just a bad work because He used He used Dad to share the gospel, and it's not good. And I would say that's wrong. It's actually extremely pure and righteous and holy would... because it's a work that God has done. Yeah, He used me, and He He used Grandma, and He used these other people. Sure, and it and it's great. But Luther would push back and say. But you never once offered your uh, preach the gospel to your kids from one hundred percent pure motives. No, and I would agree. But and so I'm that's all about, he's trying no, to say. But this that's is all no, 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 no. That's not true. Yes, his analogy is talking about the result, he's not saying, the motive. He's talking about the result. He says a good craftsman using a bad axe yeah. will never produce anything good. So is God when He uses a sinner. That's I don't think the that's, result. I don't think that's exactly all he's saying. That's but, what Bess is saying. There might be more to it that you didn't write out for me to read, but what I have here is that's all I have here. No, I don't think I don't think I did leave anything. I there was more before, but yeah. Well, this analogy is just talking directly of the result. I agree wholly with him that the axe, the axe is always rusty mm-hmm. and messed up. No, I understand what you're saying, but the result somehow because of the craftsman can be good. The I result think, is yeah, good. I think maybe the based on what you're talking about, Tim. I think maybe the better illustration would be. God can use the rusty and dull axe to bring about exactly what needs to happen still. Yes. Yeah, that's that, what I'm saying. That, that's what you're saying. And I'm still a rusty and dull axe. Even though he saved me because of sin and our sin nature, that's going to remain until the day uh, that I am made new. Mm-hmm. And then I will be a nice new right. sharp axe. Yeah, you're Perfect. Not, <laughs> yeah, what you're talking about is like that God has a misplaced swing. God created a disformed cut. Like that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. That's where it falls. 
again, I haven't read all of it. Maybe yeah. maybe reading all of it would help me. I'm not well, saying there is a book available. Again, you instantly said, Tim, you obviously don't like Luther. And it's like, well, well I can just see your face. You're kind of no, what I would maybe say, that was just your resting face. From what I understand, a lot of people didn't like Luther. That was just, was, was that just your resting yeah. face? Yeah. No, what I would say is Luther's a rusty axe. He just doesn't always do everything perfect. Of course. Yeah. You claim that he had to. I was because I said one bad thing. I didn't like the guy. No, I That's was just looking. Claim. No, I was just looking at your face, and your again though that was just your resting face. Though, yeah, look at that face right there. See, it's a confused the, face. The face. The the thing is that resting face is not that much different from the other face, other emotions. I think behind the face. So, um, it t- Scott will agree with me on this. Yeah, he was on my side. <laughs> I think we should talk about I, Harry Potter I don't, more. I don't think it's the best analogy, I, I, I would say. I think Struggled it could, with the analogy. I think all. it could be clearer. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's also a different time, a very different time very than different now. Time. So maybe it made sense more then. I don't know. When's the last time you used an axe, Spencer? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Have you been to Bad Axe, Michigan? <laughs> See, it's no, been a long time. It's been a long time. So maybe it's just not cutting straight to the heart for me. <sighs> Ooh. Oh, but it's a little dull. Are you saying that? Wow. <laughs> the analogy okay. no, It was just a misplaced swing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> All right. Don't mess with my man Luther, okay? Don't See? mess with him. Don't mess with him, okay? Dr. Martin. Dr. Martin. Dr. Martin. Okay. All right. So we're going to stop there. Next time we're going to go through four. Oh, I haven't read four. I got We're going to go through the next four. So it's going to be great. I'm excited about it. Tim's Seven, trying to eight, count nine, them. Ten. <laughs> He's counting using his fingers and toes. All right. Yep. Well, thanks for listening. We will be back uh, next week um, on uh, Theses uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.